Me and Denaya are usually yeah. pretty hyped, but we like kind of calm this down. Yeah, so you're like, like just a very chill, <laughs> calm person. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Mixed Motherhood Podcast for another week with a fantastic guest. Today we have Farai, who is in Australia, but from Zimbabwe. And of course we have the lovely Nanai. Hi everybody and hi Farai. Hi, Hello. Farai. how are you? I'm good, thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> we are international, everybody. Farai is coming to us from Perth, Australia, which is the opposite end of the universe at this point. <laughs> How is Perth today? It's like early in the morning, right? Yeah, um, it's really early. It's about eight, uh, almost eight fifteen, and it's really sunny. It's a beautiful day today, so. It's getting warmer. So we're going into like yeah. towards summer here. Yeah. So it's it's getting so cold here where we are. And yeah, today's Halloween. So we had to navigate the cold with costumes and all of the fun stuff that you do as a parent. So Farai, tell us a little bit about yourself. So you and I went to school together, but you also went to school with Cookie, which is a very interesting Venn diagram. <laughs> um, but how did you get to Australia? Um, so when I was 17, I decided like, um, like most people from where I'm from, if you can afford it, you're going to go to university overseas to get mm -hmm. a better education. So that was me decided to go to Australia, uh, when I was 17 and a half and studied podiatry and ended up staying here after I got my degree and working here um, because it was just better opportunities for me. So I end up living in Australia mm -hmm. for the 17th year. Now this year I've been here for 17 years. Wow. I have to ask podiatry. How does one decide this is what they want to do? I'm always curious about podiatry. It seems so like out there. How did you come to that decision? Um, I definitely wanted like a job that I can work with people because I was always a people's person and I wanted to see a lot of different people rather than just, you know, sitting at a desk and maybe something like mm -hmm. accounting where you just interact with less people. So, yeah, when it was time to go to uni, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And then I, I saw podiatry and I was like, I've got the marks for that. And I was looking at the units and I thought, oh, I really liked human bio. And I also like chemistry. So I was like, oh, they actually have units that I would be interested in because they had the anatomy and the, you know, the pharmacology. So I was like, I think I could do this and feet don't scare me, you know. So I was <laughs> like, I can do it. <laughs> we actually just had a conversation before we started recording about um, like getting your feet like cleaned and, and scraped and bleh. <laughs> anyway, more power <laughs> to you for doing that. So um, you are the mom to a beautiful little girl. Um, tell us a little bit more about your family. Yeah, so I'm married. Um, I'm in an interracial relationship. I'm married to Ryan, and he's from England, um, from a place called Birkenhead, which is near Liverpool, so the north of England. And I met him here, so he also was a migrant to Australia when I met him. 
um, and we started dating and then we decided to get married and that led to our daughter being born. She's almost two. She'll be two in about a month uh, from now. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's how it all blossomed. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you guys start dating? Did you just meet up somewhere and then made a connection? Yeah, so I met him actually, I was out at a pub and I, I met him and he was like literally just staring at me and I was like, is that guy staring at me? It's so weird. Like, <laughs> But he was really staring at me <laughs> and then he actually walked towards me and I was like blinking towards like, is that person walking towards me? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was his, you know, but he was just friendly. He was just like, how are you guys going? And then we mm-hmm. just, you know, from talking got his contact and yeah like I think at first didn't really contact him and then after about three months contacted him and he wanted to catch up so Mm -hmm. we just started seeing each other and um it it led to yeah us falling in love I guess (laughs) well good for him for making the first move I feel like um, and this is just my experience, people. It's not the standard for everybody. But I find like in Canada anyway, um, guys are really shy about coming up to black girls and just being like, hey, what's it, how's it going or whatever. The ones that actually have the confidence are ones that have like actually dated black girls before. But it's just very interesting that he made the first move. Like with me and my husband, like... It took a long time for either one of us to make the move just because it, it, I don't know, it just felt like, I think we were both waiting for the other person (laughs) to like make the connection. I just want to say, I don't know if I've ever heard the story of you and and, um, Nick, so one day you'll have to tell us that story, but I'm curious to know if you had... If, if um, Farai, if your husband had dated other black women or he would just come to the first? Yeah, interesting question because, um, wh- like, I remember even when I was talking to him and his last ex-girlfriend, she may not have been black, but she was a brown lady because she was from Pakistan. And then, mm. obviously, when I delved deeper, his other, the, the girlfriend before her, she was actually... Um, I think she was Congolese background, but like African-American. That's how she I- identified. So I was oh, kind wow. of like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, do you only like black women? Because, yes, sorry <laughs> to say, but being in Australia and when I've had a lot of white guys hitting on me, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I feel it, it's been sort of like almost like, they just want to try it out. Like, oh, there's a black girl. I just yes. want to try that out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and I think a lot of, like, black women or African women who live in even Perth, like, when we go out clubbing and when we used mm-hmm. to, you know, you'd always be, like, cautious of the guy because if someone's hitting on you, you're like, are they genuinely trying to get to know me or are they just trying to, you know, get one under their belt just to be like, yeah, I've slept with a black girl. <laughs> you know? It just didn't seem very genuine. Yeah. And I think that's an insecurity that you have as a Black girl um, living in 
that that kind of environment because and we talk about this all the time on this podcast like if you're a dark-skinned black girl you're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel um and so you almost feel like okay if somebody is really into me like why why are they into me when there's all these other people that's actually very interesting and so where you live in Perth is it pretty diverse or or not um no, I wouldn't say it's diverse. Um, I would say perhaps I've noticed it's getting more diverse. But when I definitely came here and I was in my early 20s, I, definitely I could go out um, with some of my friends and would be the only black girls. Or even if I went out with some of my other friends or of other races, it was quite common for me to be the only black person. I became quite used to that. Um so yeah, I was mm-hmm. quite cautious yeah. when Ryan was like into me because I think throughout my dating in the 20s, I felt like I had met some people and I, d- I didn't think they were genuine. So I became quite like defensive, you know, um, if mm-hmm. anyone yeah. other than my own race was, you know, into me, I was like, is this genuine or not? Um, but yeah. with time, I actually saw that Ryan was genuine. Um and yeah, I guess with his last two girlfriends before me, they happened to be dark skinned. But before that, they were all, I guess, white. So, I how think. How did his family? You just. How did his family react? How did his family react? Um, so I think, be, like with Brian, he normally, because I, I guess with their culture, like they can always bring a girlfriend over like, yeah, just come over. This is my girlfriend. And it usually doesn't lead to anything. Whereas for us, I think we're more conservative. It's like, if I'm meeting your boyfriend, it's it's because he's going to be marrying you. (laughs) They don't want to know him (laughs) (laughs) unless he's marrying you. So yeah, I think when I first met the mom um, and his dad, it was just like, Oh, she's just another girl. That's his girl of the season. But uh (laughs) When it became clear, like it was serious and we were getting married, then, yeah, I think, I think things change. I think it does change, you know, like in-laws will probably, what can I say? They might be a little bit more easygoing when it's like, oh, she's just a girlfriend. But when it's like, oh, this is actually mm-hmm. quite serious. Yeah. It might, so you actually, what about you? you felt there was a change? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And with Ryan's, uh, where he's from, there's, it's, I think the city is like, you know, where he's from, I think more than 85, like a very high percentage um, are just white background. So mm. it's, it's kind of like interracial relationships are very rare there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was also interesting navigating that. Yeah. Do they live it's in Australia or they live in England still? Um, in England, in, in, in Birkenhead, okay. which is near Liverpool. They still live there. It's interesting that you say that interracial relationships are not common and, um, you know, has kind of stepped out of that the mold. And he's, I guess, more adventurous with who he's seeing and dating. And have you guys ever talked about like where that's come from or why he's yeah, developed d- an interest? Um, 
Yeah, I think he said basically he found that where he grew up, a lot of the girls were, <laughs> I don't want to say plastic, but all the same, as in they all dyed their hair blonde, <laughs> they all got lip fillers, <laughs> they all looked the same. <laughs> and it seemed to be getting worse and worse. And and he said they were all hairdressers too, so he just felt he, he just wanted something with more depth. <laughs> The shade. <laughs> Honestly, though, oh. this is going to sound awful, but like a lot of the times I'm just like, have I met you before? And they're like, no. And I'm like, I feel like I have. You look the same as another girl. And it's just, I don't know. They all kind of look the same, but I get what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did your parents take your uh, relationship? Um, honestly, I think for, for, like, I remember like with my mom once, I mean, this is when I was in my mid twenties and I was like, Oh, I I don't know if I'm going to marry a Zim guy because (laughs) I'm finding it hard Mm. to find one that can commit. And I remember my mom going like, what in the kitchen? (laughs) She's like, what? Not only will you marry a black person, you're going to (laughs) marry you know, an African and not only are they going to be African, they should be from the Southern part of Africa. And, you know, not only should they be that, they should be Zimbabwean and they should be Shona. (laughs) And they should even unpack that a little bit. (laughs) So your mom was like, not only are you going to marry a black African, that person has to be from Southern Africa. My question is, to Mama Farai. Why? Like, what is wrong with all of the other men in Africa? Like, what, did she just want you to be from the same culture? Or, like, what was the, yeah. the deal with Look, that? I think, looking back, I think she just wanted that familiarity. She didn't want, okay, you know, anything that was gonna be like, oh, what do I do? Um... But yeah, when when I introduced Ryan, I think with my parents, they were kind of like, oh, I guess they were really probably were happy that I'm actually getting married. (laughs) So they ended up (laughs) just um, going with the flow. I think I think it's kind of like one thing that does um, clash is that they have their cultural expectations. If I could say they're like, we want things done our way, you know, you know, talk to him, make him know that this is our culture. But what I've noticed is I've got to sort of come somewhere in between. And mm-hmm. and that's been the same with raising my daughter. Um, because I could just be like, oh, yes, I just want to raise her the way I was raised and solely my culture. But I also have to realize there's that other side of her with Ryan's side and try to incorporate that um, because that's only fair for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing I really recall is when she was born, and I was like, "Do I really want to do a christening? Like a yeah, a christening? I think that's what it's called, like a baptism." Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think at one point I was just like, "No, I, I just don't want to do it. It's not important to me." And and Ryan himself didn't really fight for it, but then with time, I thought, I think to the in laws, they it was important to them because they were sort of you know asking oh is she going to be christened and even Mm -hmm. though they didn't want to be intrusive then I just had to sort of do that 
even though it's not something I'd normally do just to because I think at this age like at her age I'm like solely responsible for her she can't really speak up and say I want to be christened or so I just had to do it so that in in case she wanted it then it would be like oh I didn't get christened (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah I think it's it's been hard because sometimes like my family and even me I really want to put those things like that I'm used to but I've also got to realize there's that other side and give her the Mm -hmm. freedom so that as she grows she can you know be both or do what she wants to do that makes sense so do do the two families talk much uh they they, you like I think it's cordial I wouldn't say they are uh very close um and they've come together you know for my African um traditional wedding and you know my parents have also they've come together for our white wedding too Mm -hmm. um so with that, it's been really cordial and they've tried to get along. So I think it's just new to them also on both sides yeah. because I think on my family side, the interracial relationship, there's not really any blueprint. There's not anyone um, who's had that and, and same yeah. with with Ryan's family mm-hmm. on that side too. So you guys are just so pioneers. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any siblings? Are like are they married or do they have kids as well? Uh so I've got two younger brothers. They're not married. Um they're just in their late twenties, just living their bachelor life, really. <laughs> wow, so you're the first grand first one with grandkids on your side of the family, right? Yeah, and Ryan's got a sister, so mm-hmm. she's older and um she's got us uh she's got two kids yeah okay 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 so in terms of parenting um on our podcast we talk a lot about like what it's like to parent biracial children in canada which spoiler alert (laughs) not very easy sometimes but i'm really curious to find out from you what it's like to raise a biracial child in Perth because uh earlier uh, before we started recording we were talking about like sending her to daycare um and 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 all of that like have you had any experiences that have challenged you as a mother or any experiences that have surprised you yeah um definitely you know I think her daycare is good I can't say they've been a lot of issues but this is what I've also noticed just generally with maybe the, what can I say, the white population in Australia. Like really the true custodians of this land are the indigenous people who are the Aborigines. But then that is somehow forgotten, you know, because when everyone goes Australian, they mm-hmm. imagine a white Caucasian looking person. Um, so, but what I find is that with, with daycare there is that whiteness like for example like the whiteness is like considered the norm like for example I um as a hair grew um my daughter's hair it went from more straight to really curly kind of like what my hair was when I was young um so I started like like at first I just let it grow but then I started tying it and then 
you know, one day I just decided I'm not going to tie her hair. Let me just put a product and comb it afro and then mm-hmm. I go to daycare. And when I picked her up, one of the carers was like, oh, her hair's looking wild today. <laughs> Something like she's wild, just like her hair. And I was like, whoa, this is not okay. Like definitely when those words are said, like, you know, I was really mm-hmm. taken like, whoa, like I just didn't feel safe. Um, just trying to like process like, you know, like that's not okay. <laughs> and I think it brought up stuff for me because, um, you know, even the night, like at school, I, I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. in high school, like our yeah. hair had to always sort of be to the white standard. It was like, it has to be. You, you couldn't know, have braided, very short bit... hair. Yeah. It couldn't. Yeah. It had to be like one color, brown <laughs> or black. Um, yeah. It, there's a lot of, and we're, we're going to do a hair episode at some point, but I feel like there is a lot of trauma behind black girls and hair. And, you know, the way that I, the way that I try and raise my daughter is to like get her to think about the the, the things that she loves the most about her hair. And she always gets compliments. And I think the reason why she always gets compliments is because I've made an effort to like try and learn more about her hair. Cause I, her hair texture is very different to mine. Like it's still kinky, but it's, it's like a looser kink, if that makes any sense. So I'm also learning about her hair and I try and make sure that regardless of how else she looks, that her hair looks good so that she has the confidence, but it is hard. Like, especially when your child is surrounded by straight haired, blonde, you know, kids, it's hard not to like internalize some of that difference. Um, but your daughter's still very young, so she probably hasn't gotten to that stage yet. But have you had people making other comments about like her looks? And- I, I think specifically with that one, I had to pause because I could have been like in the corridor, like, what? That's her hair. That's the way it is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just have an outburst. But I just had to be like, oh, you know, I, I think like mm-hmm. I want to say something, but I, I think this is not the time. And I think when, when there is a time, I will have to say it. Um, yes. And then, and it's like what you say, have I had issues? There have been issues definitely because even in the shops, like if you're, sometimes I'm with my daughter and you can, you get looks, you know, people are like, they look at your daughter, then they look at you, then they look at your daughter mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. we look different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get that. And I'm, I, I remember being in the grocery store, um, just like on a, a Saturday, like around lunchtime, you know, very busy, right? Everybody's everybody's buying groceries. And my daughter was at the end of the, the checkout helping me pack things. She couldn't have been more than like three or four years old. And I turn around for a second to like pay for the groceries. And all of a sudden, this older lady... Um, is just at the end of the till next to my child, like touching her hair and like saying, oh, your hair is so, so nice or what, like paying her a compliment. But the first thing I thought about was like, how dare you touch my kid 
at all. Not just touch her hair, but touch my kid at all. And then as I got into the car, I kept thinking, imagine if me as a black person had walked up to a random white lady and had started touching this lady's kid's hair. It would have been received completely differently, right? And if I had made a scene in that moment, it would have been all about my reaction, my very valid reaction to what I felt was a violation of my child. And I don't know. I don't know if you ever have these these experiences or like <laughs> these conversations no, with I can, yourself. I can definitely relate, you know. And but I mean, for me, fr- yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was saying for me, like you talking about your daughter's hair being touched and how inappropriate that is. I think for me, even I used to love having um, African styles and braids, and I would do that all the time and go to work. And I found that a lot of my clients or patients, it was like, oh, your hair. And they'll just start touching my hair. <laughs> and it was just so violating because I just, and and I also think like, is it appropriate? Because when I see like even clients have new hairstyles, I don't go, I go nice hair, but I don't go and mm-hmm. like touch it. And can I touch your hair? Like that, it, that would just be so inappropriate. So, you know, um, it just really put me off. And for a while, I was just like, I'm just going to wear like white styles, like, because, and it's sad, but even though I wanted to embrace my culture, it was like, I'll just have to straighten my hair so that people don't touch me. So they don't violate me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard in the workplace. It's hard because there's so much to lose because especially with me with clients I can't just be rude to clients and be like don't touch me <laughs> you know it's gonna have yeah. repercussions um you know that's actually gonna affect my work my income um exactly you know, as a friendly podiatrist you know who I like to see so it's it's really frustrating and and I do worry about that for my daughter because you know I mm-hmm. want her to have any hairstyle and and not have society judge her or yes you know one like as in oh that's quirky I want to touch it um, I just wanted to to express herself the way she wants and and be free and and be comfortable with whatever hair she chooses yeah mm-hmm. I had to tell um my daughter came home my oldest and she came home and was like mom like the kids keep touching my hair and so because I keep, I would put it in a bun and so it's it was a little big bun, right? Because my daughter's old. They all have thick hair. So she'd have a big bun. And she'd be like, the kids keep touching it. And they chase me and touch it. And I said, okay, so have you said anything? And she's like, I haven't. So I said, okay, we'll say it to the kids first, right? Like, let's take that step, get some independence in saying, please don't touch me or my hair. Um, and so she did that. And she was like, okay, so most of the kids have stopped. One or two keep going. Uh, so then I was like, okay, well, whenever you want me to step in, I'll tell the teacher because maybe it has to come from them first. Um, and so she was like, okay. So sure enough, I told the teacher and she was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'll just make sure I'll keep an eye on it. And then it never happened again. But it's something that you'd have to teach them to take responsibility for their own bodies and their own uh, space and say like, this is not okay. I don't wish to be touched. Uh, of course, when they're two yeah. or three or four, they don't have that voice just yet and they don't understand what's happening. And that's why I don't understand why an adult would even think that's okay to touch a child. Like, it's just so strange. Like, what goes through your mind? Um, you know, that child can't say or do anything. Why would you do that, right? It's so inappropriate. 
But at some point you have to tell them, like you have to tell your friends or tell your teachers that don't touch my hair. I have no interest in you touching my hair. Um, but it definitely takes some conversations and you keep having them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. yeah, I totally can relate to, to both of you, your children. The, 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 Dave, okay, see, I know on this podcast you learned that I play devil's, devil's advocate all the time. So I'm going to say for the daycare lady now, for her to say that your child is wild. But sometimes I think it's a, oh, her hair looks different today. It's not necessarily in a bun or whatever. And maybe not necessarily meant in an ignorant way. But it does come across ignorant because it is to say, oh, your child's wild today, just like her hair. It's like. What are you getting at? Was my child wild or are you going for the hair? Like, what are you getting at? But again, well, devil's yeah. advocate. Maybe she was just being. No, I, I hear you. <laughs> and I think even at that time that I paused, I had to like think, okay, this is triggering that sort of like, this is racist. But at times I have to just pause and be like, is this my own trauma that I'm dealing with? Or is, is there malice in this? Um, yeah. Exactly. So that's why I just pause and just not react, not lash out, you know. Um, yeah, it's You're a right. difficult one. In, because... in saying like is you have to be careful not to pass on because in that moment, if you had reacted some type of way, let's say your daughter was four. Now she sees you reacting that way and she goes, what was so wrong with what just happened? So now she's going to internalize that. Oh, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to react like that when somebody says something. Like, you know what I mean? So you, you do have hmm. to kind of sidestep a few things and decide what hill you're going to die on that day. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been battles. teaching my, <laughs> I've been teaching my daughter, like you, like the, the one thing that I've always taught her is that we don't make comments on people's bodies and we mm-hmm. don't, um, we don't fixate on bodies because everybody's body is different. Everybody is going to look different. And, you know, we kind of have conversations about how sometimes when you are making like even well-intentioned comments about the way that people look, it can result in hurt feelings. So we just don't like make comments like that. And I think that in a way it kind of builds the, the, the practice in her to like not fixate on how people look but conversely we also talk about like setting boundaries she's actually very good at saying don't touch me i need space and just like moving away from the situation and i think sometimes that is way easier it's way easier to separate yourself from the mess (laughs) than to try and navigate it even when especially when you're young Now, I, I want to go back to something that you said that you you said that you get a lot of looks um, because of the way your child looks and the way that you look, not not the same. Um, what has it been like to live in Perth and raise your child in that kind of environment? Like, what has it done to your mental health? Like, are you finding ways to just navigate it or what? Um. I think one thing that's come up with um, with having my daughter is that 
even though like racism exists and it's there, I think um, like we're sort of raised and, and especially black women, we're very strong, you know? So we just, I think we're told to just ignore it, carry on, focus on our work, you know, focus on just being the best you can be on earning an income. Um, but the truth is, I think these things hurt. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, I, and I think it's it's kind of like, I, I've heard you guys talk about um, the angry black woman and sort of like anger drives you to get things done, you know, as in, yeah, I'm angry about this, but I'm just going to carry on. <laughs> but I think it, at the end of the day, that hurt is still there. And having my daughter has sort of, at times I have to reflect that, look, some of these things are not just, um, and, you know, society will be like that. And it's actually sad. And, and actually take that time to, to process that sadness and, and, that, and that grief. Um, it doesn't mean we have to sit there forever. Um, but I found that actually taking that time to, to, to sit and just... Mm-hmm be sad about it um it's it's and and actually even cry like in a safe environment you know um whether that be with my partner or people who understand it's got to be where you're safe and then you know when you're done processing that you can really just carry on because the emotions come and go and I think yeah a lot of the time I was always quite angry and fixated and ruminating as in, oh, this racist thing happened or this unjust thing happened and just keep replaying that. Um, But that was really burning me out, I found. So, and and society is is, is catching up slowly, but it's still a long way to go. That's that's all I can say. Is it Um, better in Australia? Because, I mean, we live in a very interesting part of the world where race is everywhere but is the culture different in australia uh no definitely i think the race is an issue here it really is um and not only for you know black or african migrants um even towards the indigenous people it's it's always Mm -hmm. been an issue there i mean australia in the 1950s which is not so long ago they had a white only policy. Um, yeah. You know, there've been talks in the 1980s, which are highly racist, you know, saying that they want to sterilize the indigenous population. They want to put chemicals in mm-hmm. their water, things like this. Um, it's just not acceptable. And, um, you know, it's there. They're microaggressions. They're there. And I've had to really educate my husband, um, you know, to to sort of understand the the hurt that I suffer and what I go through. And it, yeah. you know, it's really sad. It's really dark stuff. But I think we do need to take time to process those things. I think for me, all my life, it was like, just ignore that. Let's carry on. Let's work. Let's push on. Um, mm-hmm. But it's we just got to take time to sort of grieve and, and be sad. Um, and we don't always have to be there long term, but it's okay to be sad. That, that's one thing I would say. 
has helped me and it's it helps me raise my daughter better because then mm-hmm. I'm not always angry and raging all the time. You know, I sometimes if, get if angry I and I tell time. my husband I tell my husband all the time, like I um even this morning I asked him like do you ever like do you ever think about what your life would be like if you didn't have privilege, like if you weren't like white or a man? And he's like, ah, oh, not really. And I've asked him, you know, um, do you ever feel a sense of guilt about the privilege that you were born in? And he's like, I don't really think about it, but it's my job to understand that I have it and to be self-aware you know, when I'm taking up space. And I think that that having that conversation really kind of helped me um, get over some of the stuff that I was feeling about, like how just life isn't fair because I see the way that he is able to navigate life and to just like live his life and progress in his career without having to worry about like half the stuff (laughs) Um, that I think black women have to worry about. So yeah, I totally Can get I ask educated. Though, would you be? Would it be okay to? I don't. Th- <clears throat> is it okay to guilt him? Like you can't guilt somebody I'm for being born the way him. they're born. I wasn't but, guilting like, him. It, I was just but, wondering. I was like, no, but I mean, like, would he be like if he had said yes? I feel guilty. What exactly is he going to do with that guilt? There's nothing he can I think do. I was right? Just more interested to see what it's like to to see the world or to live the world in in his in his eyes um and i can't remember how we we started talking about it but i i was just kind of frustrated and i was like ah oh, what is it like for you to i think we're talking about like um where we were in our in our careers like uh, for context uh, my husband works in like the tech industry and um, he's like progressed in his career very quickly. And um, I think the, the, at the point that we were discussing, he was talk- we were talking about salary. And he was just like, yeah, I'm just going to ask for this number. And in my head, I was like, you're just going to ask for <laughs> You're just going to ask for this much? And he's like, oh, yeah. And I had to tell him like everything that goes on in my head when I go through the same process, right? Because people are looking at me differently. Like I don't have any entitlement to any of the things that he has. And so I was trying to like find out what it's like, you know, to be in that space. (laughs) So it wasn't about guilt. I was just like, you're going to ask for this number for your salary and just, just like give it to them. He's like, yeah. And he did and he got it. So in my mind, I'm like, I need to start thinking like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, know what you though just... i have i've you see all these articles that do talk a lot about ask them for whatever number you want and you might land on maybe just below it or maybe yeah. you land above it or um sometimes if you don't but ask, cookie, they just hand i think you they a see number. a man they see a man when and they're they... like he 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 deserves it but then it's like with with somebody like us right you have to quantify why you think you have this value, right? 
You have to. You don't think yeah, he had to say? You don't think he had to say? I don't I think, think so. I mean, we, because... I could ask him and tell you next episode, but yes, I just feel please. like <laughs> with men, particularly white men, I feel like it's just very easy for them to be like, "This is what I'm worth," and then for us, we have to like, first of all, think about how we're going to justify what we're worth, and then go mm-hmm. into battle, mm-hmm. like literally go in and make uh, learn how to negotiate and and argue and and all of that stuff and personally for me i just find it exhausting to like constantly have to do that i don't know i don't know i wonder if it's a negotiation thing that we just don't have i'm not a great negotiator i'm not gonna lie i suck at negotiating on marketplace if you're gonna sell it for 120 i'm buying it for 120 i'm not negotiating I've done it once in my career and I didn't get all that I asked for. I think they, they met me halfway and I was like, you know what? I've already pushed my luck. I'll just, <laughs> I'll take I'll it. Take it. <laughs> but he was like, well, yeah. you need to ask for the cap. I'm like, I'm not going in asking for the cap of like, yeah. Anyway, it, it is very interesting. And um, what you just to go back to what you were saying about like, how indigenous people are treated in Australia is very similar here. And we have talked about this many times before in this podcast, you know, indigenous people in Canada face um, the worst structural racism um, in this country. But I think black people face the worst day to day racism in this country. And I think it's the day to day stuff that, um, um, you know, can be tough, especially for kids, because they're having to navigate those people bullying them or, or um, making fun of how they look. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it sucks either way. <laughs> and it does. I think as a, yeah. Yeah. As a parent, yeah, you just have thing- to do the best. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree that you say you just have to do the best. And I think um, there's a time for everything, you know, um, a, a time to sort of like grieve and accept, but mm-hmm. a time to also move on and, and, and push for what you want. And as you say, like, I think with you, when you're saying with your husband and you're like, oh, he just asked for that, you know, um, mm-hmm. the figure that he wants. Um, I think it's also like, we need to instill that in, in our children that um, they're worth it, you know, yes. that they are enough, you know, that their skills and, and them being them, that they're enough to actually um, deserve, you know, a pay rise or the, the, the pay that they want or the job that they want and, and what they mm-hmm. want at the same time. So, I mean, even with, even though on the other side, as I say, my parents always push those values, like you're enough, you know, don't let anyone tell you can't do this because of your race. Um, it, it, it's, it has been positive because it's driven me to, to, to be successful and to, yeah to sort of gain those things. So it's not all bad, <laughs> but yet also I think that it's, it's, it's to just like dismiss the racism is also very toxic mm. and it hurts. So there, there's a time to actually acknowledge it um, and to process that. That's what I've sort of uh, felt. And then I want my daughter to know that she's enough and that she's worth it. Um, if I may ask, has your grows. husband ever experienced that same, um, the looks in the grocery store, if, if he's ever voiced that or, or made a comment about that? With the baby? Uh, you 
Yeah. Yeah, with my yeah. Uh he really um he I think he has mentioned it once. Uh but he would be like oh like I just don't care. That sort of uh at this moment like he doesn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably similar to what you know your hu- your husband say mm-hmm. one difference i would say with ryan um is that when it comes to those conversations you know how you asked him like how is it to experience white privilege and your husband was actually able to accept that yeah i've got white privilege <laughs> with mm-hmm. my husband he actually gets very defensive and i've noticed this with a lot of my black girlfriends who have um white partners especially ryan coming from a working class background he would be like he feels that when someone complains about like racism or injustice in that way it can at times take away from his struggles yes and that's been um a real frustration in our relationship because I might be trying to explain my point of view and be like, yeah, but this was so unjust. This hurt me. This is not okay. Um, But then he would be like, but it's not easy for me just because I'm a white male. It's not like I've had the easiest (laughs) walk. And, um, but with time I've had to really, um, you know, have these in-depth conversations um, and, and see his side of the story but he's had to really see the mm-hmm. side of the story and that actually our daughter is 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 gonna need the support you know when it comes to those things and because that's yeah. been my fear that he might dismiss um her pain and her issues and the injustice and just be like don't worry about that you know just focus on working hard <laughs> just focus on being I successful think- which is just not enough i feel yeah. Well, I think that there there is a lot of uh intersectionality between like race and class. There are a lot of similarities. But the difference is that um all of the struggles that a person of color faces are usually only because they are a person of color. And so that is when the that is where the inequity inequity lies, right? We're not saying that People out there who grew up poor, working class, did not struggle or have challenges getting to where they are. Um, We're just saying that they didn't have to experience those challenges as a result of being Black. And I think that is what people don't understand, is that imagine going through all of that, but also being Black. Because anti-Blackness runs in nearly every form of discrimination, in nearly every form of inequity, um, definitely in this country, and I'm pretty sure everywhere else in the world. And that is an added layer. And it's not the oppression Olympics. I always like to say this. It's not the oppression Olympics. Everybody has had struggle. Um, But it is hard to be a Black person in this this world, not just in, in, in Canada or in Australia in the world because of, you know, other people's perceptions of black people. And, you know, a few episodes ago, we talked about how, you know, uh, the statistical bureau here, StatsCan released some figures on anti-blackness and basically highlighted that amongst all persons of color, black people are seen, have the, the only group 
that was universally seen as being negative. Now imagine going into a job interview with that knowledge in your head or going to do a, <laughs> a salary negotiation or sending your kid to school with that knowledge in your head. That already is a hurdle that you have to overcome that other people don't even have to think about. And so I think it's important that you continue to have these conversations with your husband for sure. And, you know, it's, it's going to take time for people to actually like for it to click. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to happen very easily. Right. I think it's, he will like, he will live those experiences through his children. And even my husband, um, I think there's certain things that he just didn't think about until we had kids. And now he's, very much aware right so just something to think about yeah mm -hmm. yeah I feel it's um he is becoming more aware and able to empathize more with me yeah and I also try to empathize with him and I hope that as our daughter grows we can you know be there to support her when these issues um come which I'm sure they will I'm just hoping that things will be so much better than they are now. <laughs> then I won't yeah. have to deal with all of this, but who knows? Um, I think we're on our way. I mean, I feel like um, in as much as it's conversations, right? But you have to keep having the conversations. It's not mm -hmm. about um, just saying, let's just stop this. I think there's a lot of understanding that needs to happen. And I think our children are already making that difference. There's already... Um, them meshing with each other so much better and yes. talking to one another so much better. Um, so I think for sure it's going to be different by the time they get to that stage. It's going to be different because there's going to be so many mixed children mm -hmm. that uh, they're not going to necessarily even be ne needing to have these conversations because they're going to come to the table with so many backgrounds, you know, mm -hmm. and, and have that to compare to each other or that to have a conversation about. Um, so mm -hmm. I think we're well on our way. There's lots of things happening in their lives that if we don't even see. They're connecting with each other on, on different levels. You know, even if they're playing with, say, a white child, that white child might say, oh, my aunt is married to a black guy. And so like I, uncle so-and-so. And so I hang out with it. Like, you know, so it doesn't necessarily have to be immediate, but there are definitely things happening in and around them that they are internalizing, mm -hmm. collecting, and moving forward with. So this is something that I think we're getting closer, not to the end, obviously, because some things just will never end, but we're getting closer to a better society and conversation about this stuff. And yeah. hopefully one day we won't necessarily have to even be arguing with one another or having a conversation about it. I agree with Kuki. I think it's good that we're actually having these conversations, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a start because I think when these things are silenced, uh, when people act like it's not an issue, that that's when it can be really toxic. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, when we actually see it for what it is and, and bring it to the foresight, um, that's mm -hmm. where the real change happens and we're discussing issues. And, um, and I always, you know, even when I first came to Australia, I remember there were times, especially being um, in my profession. And I think some people really seeing like, you know, like a black podiatrist for the first time because people would be like, oh, I was looking for the podiatrist. I'm like, it's me. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and 
you know, I've had like, that's when you have to realize you are good enough. Um, and people will always question you, where did you study? What did you know? They want to really, yes. Yeah. And you just wonder like, when are you going to be good enough? Like you've, you've got the degree, you've got the masters, you've got the high paying job, <laughs> but still people will question that because of your race or your ethnicity. So you just need to always like realize that you are enough yourself within. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because sometimes you're not going to get it externally. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, for me, it's like, I know I'm not going to get it externally, but I at least want to get it from the people within my circle. And I want to be able to provide that to my kids. I want both my children to feel like they can do anything despite of what they look like and, and their backgrounds. And it's just, it's tough. It's tough because you can't control other people. Um, so in that vein, um, Farai, like, what would you say to your younger self? What would you say to somebody in your, I don't know, in a situation like yours right now to encourage them or or anything? Um, yeah, I would say, you know, find your circle or create your village. If, if the village is not there, mm-hmm. you create it, you know, uh, Find those people who support you and distance yourself from, you know, that that doesn't. Um, And that, yeah, that I am enough, that, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's good enough, you know, with with the resources and everything. You can only do what's good enough. Yeah. And that's a quote. Great advice. Yeah. All right, folks, we are going to take a quick break and we will be back with this week's letter. And we are back. Cookie, um, you are going to read the letter this week like you do every other week. Take it away. (laughs) Yes. Hello, ladies. I'm a 30-year-old Black Ugandan woman living in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I just started dating a wonderful English-Irish white guy. He's kind and attentive, basically has everything I want to need in a partner, but he shared with me that he has only um, ever dated Black women in the past. Not only that, but he also mentioned that he has a preference for Black women. We've talked about getting married, having kids, and he's all on board to do so. My problem is I feel like I'm being fetish sized I hate this word. I don't really know whether his this man is only with me because I'm black or if he just has a type. Am I overthinking this or is he one of the good ones? Can I go first? <laughs> Can I just say that like my first reaction is this guy sounds creepy. But then mm-hmm. I think why why am I why am I making that judgment? Is that fair? Sorry, go ahead. No, it's not it's not fair. I think that honestly, it's like if a, if a guy likes a girl with dark hair, he just likes a girl with dark hair. It's not I, the same. Oh, can I finish my point? Can I finish my point, please? <laughs> can I just finish my point? Okay. I feel like I don't think he's creepy. I think he just genuinely finds black women attractive. And that's not fetishize I hate that word because I can't say it that's not making a fetish of black women there's a difference 
um, I think with saying, oh, I like those. I don't, I don't know. I just think there's a, there's honestly, there's a lot of merit to when you go black, you never go back. And this is, and let me, no, let me, let me say why. Let me say why. Let me oh say why. Oh my gosh. I genuinely believe that as black women, we have more of a um, mothering, nurture, nature kind of thing. Like we're very nurturing and men tend to get drawn to that. Very drawn to that. We're not quick to argue with our husbands. We're not quick to. Um, Cookie, how many them. black women do you know? Maybe it's me. I, Maybe it's me. For people who cannot see me right now, which is basically everybody listening to this podcast, my eyes are like wide open and my mouth is wide open. I don't think that I don't think that's true at all. I, I almost feel like it's the opposite. Look, the reason why I say this sounds creepy is because he has only dated black women. Like, my first question would be, why? Like, why is a black is man only ever dated black women? Like, this is my thing. Like, you can't, you can't, why does he not want to do, or what about the black, uh, black guy that only dates white women? Is he fetish? Is that a fetish? Probably. Think, like, okay, you know, let's let, let's let our guest weigh in before, <laughs> before mom and dad start before. fighting you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Farai? Uh, look, I, th- I would just advise communication. So if she's concerned about being fetishized, oh, it's a hot, difficult word, being a fetish. Fetishized. Just yeah. Fetishized. <laughs> um, I think communication just with any marriage, like she should just really ask him the, the questions. What's the reason? Because she hasn't given us a reason. Does she know the reason mm-hmm. why he prefers particularly black women and those reasons are probably going to uh, give like you know justification whether he is creepy or if he's actually just that's what he prefers and it makes complete sense that's what I would say exactly if he said you know what I just happen to have been in relationships and they've all been black women that to me is acceptable but if he starts pinpointing features or attributes um that is a red a massive red flag to me because it's like that is all he sees and that is all he is seeing it's kind (laughs) of like i'm trying to think of like it's kind of like if you said i only date guys that have six packs or i only date athletes why ask yourself why you're focusing on the one thing without opening yourself up for other things. That also is a red flag. Okay, but, but you already just... said he was creepy without knowing this information. And so this is what I'm saying. So I'm advocating it for this guy. It sounds creepy. Oh my God. You know, why just... you, you know why it sounds creepy? Because you don't hear this a lot. Like you don't hear, uh, especially white guys saying, I only date black women or I've, or I've only dated black women. To me, it's like, well, why is that? Like, what? Uh, I don't know. I just kind of question the intent. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I just, I question the intent behind that. Like, what is it about the the features and attributes of a Black woman that are attractive to you? His response okay, to that question 
would tell me more about this person, this individual. Anyway, okay, sorry, so I'm going to ask if you if you say if somebody asked me, yeah. um, do you only date white white men? Well, to be honest, I dated a white man and then I married a white man and then so like you can't. So is that a fetish on my part? Because to be honest, I found... But Cookie, you have not only dated white guys. I had one black boyfriend in my entire career of dating. (laughs) So, like, I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand. Okay, my next question would be, are you seeking... Are you only seeking out a specific type of person? But if I said yes, is that making me fetish? Is that a fetish? Or is that just because maybe that's... Okay. Then my next question is, what type of person are you seeking out? If you if your response has to do with physical attributes, that is a red flag. But if if you respond and say, "Look, I tend to like men who like camping and like to grow long beards and maybe watch hockey and." <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And then you, you follow it up by saying, and those people happen to be <laughs> white. Not nice. That is okay. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I mean, no, I would just tell sounds you weird. For me, it just is that it, for me, it just happens to be that's who hits on me. Maybe that's, but I don't mind them because the conversation sometimes is interesting i I don't know but i don't think it's necessarily because but you're not actively seeking out like white people only right only that's that's the difference sure at least that's i mean for you need to be the tiebreaker here because (laughs) i feel like that is the difference when somebody is only seeking out you are only seeking out that attribute without taking into consideration anything else right that's a red flag. Yeah. I, okay. Would I say it's a red flag? It sounds maybe shallow. So, I mean, if, if he really is attracted to black Which is a red flag. Features... <laughs> no, <laughs> Sorry, continue. Not, like... <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> because I'm kind of like on both. Like, I understand where Kuki is coming from, too, because it's like, uh, if he is generally attracted to that, is it a bad thing? Um, but then if, if he is maybe like, like making it a fetish, then that's a whole I different I don't think thing. the attraction is the bad thing. I, I don't think it's like a bad thing to be attracted to, you know, whoever you are attracted to. What I have issue with is when you focus on uh, an attribute that like just one singular thing and then base your interaction your attraction around that right so okay, this but I think the relationship should have more depth yeah I yes. think so, like, yeah you can like dating only black women that's totally fine but if you are hyper focused on i only want to be with a black woman um but here's that the thing. to me is a little, especially in this context. I'm not saying like in all contexts, but in this context, a little creepy. 
Sorry, continue. She did. I like the way that she mentioned that he wants to get married because I think sometimes a fetish can land on, I'm never going to marry you. I just want to date Mm -hmm. you because I like to date whatever it is I'm looking for. But she made it a point to say he wants to get married. So I think he genuinely maybe just enjoys a different connection because to be honest, in as much as I love my white sisters, I do, but we talk differently. We behave differently. We relationships are different. They're not the mm-hmm. same. And I, I can say that 100% because I've seen white people be in relationships and black people in relationships. I've watched that. And the dynamics are very different. How we react, how we talk, how we communicate, um, how we manage just life is very different. So I think mm-hmm. maybe that's just what he's drawn to in terms of he's a, he is and attracted to black totally women, fine. but then attracted to to whatever relationship he's built with another black woman and then goes, maybe the other another black woman will give me the same connection. So I think it's different if she had said that he had no interest in getting married and he just likes yeah. to date black women. Then absolutely, I think that's a huge red flag. But he seems to be yeah, invested in this relationship. It's almost like if I said, I will never date a Zimbabwean um, because, I don't know, pick a reason. Like you are painting all of the same people with the same brush without actually recognizing that they are unique differences with each person and you are hyper-focused on the one thing. I think in this context, because she says that he has only ever dated black women in the past, I would be asking like, hey, I noticed that you were like, are really attracted to black women and you've only ever dated black women. Is there a reason? The way he answers that will determine if he's a creep or if he just, you know, he, he likes the dark girls. I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I when I read this, I was like, mm, something doesn't sound right. And she even has a spidey sense because she's like, this, this feels unusual that this guy is super into me, right? Not mm-hmm. that I'm saying it's unusual for anybody to like black girls. It's just the, I don't know. I don't I, I would want to ask more questions of this guy and then base my decision on his responses. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like trying to put anybody down, but it it is unusual. I mean, have you guys ever heard uh, heard anybody who's super into black women? Well, didn't for I say her husband is mainly dated dark-skinned women? Well, in the end, he he was, and his reason was that he felt that a lot of the girls he was meeting looked the same, and he found that with the black women, they were more diverse. That's what he he felt. Yeah. See if he if I heard an answer like that, I'd be like totally fine. I'd be like, yes, marry me, let me have your children, let's do this. But it, if it was like oh, I just think black women are sexy or, um, you know, black women are spicy or fiery. Like, stuff like that gives me the ick. I'd be like, mm-mm, I'm, I'm not the girl for you. But whatever, to each his own. As long as you are happy, she didn't give us her name, but lady, as long as you are happy and he's happy and not fetishizing you, it's all good. Any last thoughts on the letter? You're fine, lady. Everything's fine. Don't <laughs> question too much stuff. Just carry on with your life. <laughs> yeah, and uh, 
Trust your instincts, I think. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back with uh, this week's news. We are back with this week's news. So there is a very interesting article coming out of The Guardian, which is a a UK newspaper. And it is entitled, Why Should My Daughter Have to Fight for Her Education uh, Because of Her Afro Hair? Basically, the article outlines how this woman's daughter was told that her hair was too big and distracting to be at school. She kind of took this fight on and now there is uh, legislation being tabled uh, about not discriminating against people based on their hair. And I thought this was a very fascinating story because, first of all, it's gotten it, it went to the point where this woman felt like she had to fight for the right for her daughter to sit in a cl- like in a classroom with the with her hair in its natural state. Um, but it also is interesting because where we grew up, hair was a major issue and going to school, you were expected to have your hair neat, right? Neat in quotation marks. And that basically meant it had to conform to Eurocentric standards. So I want to know what you guys think about this and basically the the direction that our society is taking in terms of like recognizing that black people's hair just grows the way that it grows out of their head and uh, other people's definition of taming it may be different from ours. Oh, yeah, I think I'm all for this. Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead, Fry. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm all for it. I just think it's great that it's it's being recognized because it, she can't control how her hair grows or how her hair looks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and definitely it should not be good. Like they should not be stopping her from coming to school, getting an education, you know, going to her classes because, you know, her hair is not to their standard. I think that's just not a priority and it's not, it doesn't make sense. So I think this kind of mm-hmm. like law, um, and actually recognizing this, it's 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 gonna like it's a good thing. It's a positive thing for you know women who are from a black background with Afro hair. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I I think the word that triggered me was distracting. You know, like the hair is distracting. Well, what does that mean? Um, like are you you are basically shaming this this child for something that she has no no real control over like how her hair sits naturally on her body um i do kind of understand wanting your like wanting all the children to look together i think that is different but the terminology tame um that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about your daughter and daycare and the comments that were being made. I think I just take issue with that, that terminology because it implies that it's unmanageable. Right. I don't know. Cookie, have you had to deal with this? 
No. And I, you know what? Sorry. I want to go back to what you were saying earlier, like way earlier about at Arundel, you guys couldn't have like really short hair. Yeah. So you couldn't shave, you couldn't like shave your head. Right. You had to, I remember this because I was one of the prefects that had to do hair checks and you actually get a piece of paper from the school that tells you like all of the rules. And I remember specifically, there's one girl now year. shout out Chico, if you're listening, um, she's black, but she had like, her hair was ginger. Like it wasn't like, it shouldn't have black hair or brown hair. It was like uh blondish brownish. And one of the rules were, if you were going to have braids, it had, the braids had to be black or brown. But when she put in black or brown braids, it just looked off, right? Because her hair was not that color. And so there was actually, um, she actually petitioned the school to change that to as long as the braids match the natural color of your hair. And they actually allowed it, but with the caveat that, you know, if your hair was white, <laughs> like blonde white, you couldn't get like blonde white braids. Like it just had to look natural as close to brown as possible yeah and so i remember that um there were things like people would lie all the time and say that their hair they got like they used dark and lovely or like whatever and they got and it burnt their hair so that's why they had streaks in their hair you couldn't have highlights <laughs> or anything I don't remember that whole dark and lovely thing anyway people would um <laughs> get highlights and then just lie and say that they had a reaction to the relaxer which relaxers were very popular when we went to school um yeah it, it it is fascinating to me how much time and effort was put into managing people's hair at that age and just the hang-ups that we have with hair like i remember my first year of university i felt so uncomfortable leaving my braids just loose because we weren't allowed to do that in high school like your mm. hair always had to be tied up. I think the the good thing about this is that it is basically legislating that this is not okay. Because uh, I'll give another example. My sister works for a cruise company, so she works on cruise ships, and she's a, a she manages the spa um, in these massive cruise ships. And the company that hires them specifically says that you cannot wear your natural hair so if you're black you you can't have like your natural textured hair out your hair either has to be uh like in braids or it has to be straight which blows my mind that they are getting away with this and I always ask her all the time, like, how do you guys just accept this? And then she's like, yeah, well, it's just the rules. You're just used to it. And it's just, it's, because it, why? Who cares? I can understand um, saying that it needs uniformity. to be somewhat. They want everybody to true. look the same, right? It's like ballet. Um, if, like, you've had your kids in dance, I think. Like, if your kids go to ballet, their hair has to be, in a bun away from mm -hmm. their face mm -hmm. and that's stipulated in like nearly every ballet dance, dance yes. rule thing and it's like that's why i kind of stopped with my child because she has a lot of hair 
and it's very hard to get it slicked back. But it's also like, why? Why do I need, like, why, as long as the hair is out of her face, like, why does it, why do you need to do this? It's because of the Eurocentric standard of, of hair. Like, they want everybody to look the same, even though the world does not exist like that. This is true. So. But I think, um, I get the hair needing to be tidy. Because, I mean, imagine coming to work and your hair is just Yeah, 100%, all over the place. as long as it's been... Kempt. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the whole, like, your hair is distracting part that I just, yeah. I can't You don't like, deal with. yeah, you can't get yeah. past, yeah. And, I mean, I agree. I think um, I'm that's also... just... A... Go ahead. Um, well, I'm just saying that I'm all for diversity for hair because I was actually thinking what you were saying about the school and how your friend had to get the matching braids. But I thought, what about the white girls? What if they were braiding their hair in Where's, like wouldn't it be allowed? braids and stuff? It wouldn't have been allowed. So mm-hmm. why is that? Because everything is Eurocentric. <laughs> that's that's not, you know, because <laughs> even now, like when white girls yeah. braid their hair, people are like, oh, that's very wild. Like, that's crazy. Like, why is it that a black hairstyle or, you know, is considered wild or out there? It's it's not. It's, it should be the norm. And I think that that legislation is just actually trying to make it a norm, like. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Well, even in the U.S. Army, until very recently, I think like 2016, uh, women in the U.S. Army couldn't have certain types of hairstyles. Like they couldn't have things like cornrows, which is crazy because everybody does cornrows in their hair, like just as a protective style. Um, if I find the article, I'll post it in the show notes. But I don't know. It just feels crazy to me to think that they are people who can get away with this, like the company that my sister works for, you know, mm-hmm. actually having it in their code of conduct that you can't wear your own natural hair out um, is crazy. Sorry. The army is different though. The army is different. Is it? I feel like you can't. Yes, it is. The military is a little bit different. You can't put that on the same. Um, they have, they almost live a different world. They live in a different world. Their discipline, the way they do things all together is very different. So I think, because even for the men, they can't have certain types of hairstyles. They can't just have hair. It has to be extremely short and in certain ways. So like, I think the military is completely different. But cornrows, cornrows is the most, is the, I mean, people wear cornrows to fight, like in the street. In the streets all the time, like you see. Okay, but they're not like, fighting in the streets. I think no, it has just, to. Like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like how is how is having cornrows going to affect your ability to do your job was, as a, a military personnel? You know what I mean? How is how is there the 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 young man with the hair that you know he's got a full head of hair? How does that affect him being in the military? I just I think they just operate on a different disciplinary situation I mean, so okay, i think i think we, we need to we agree to disagree <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, th- <laughs> I think everything should uh, include the diversity because they're not allowing a diversity yes. of hair that's that's unjust like like trying to actually not be inclusive it's 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 not inclusive you know saying but you the can guys have are this not allowed that. to have long white they're not allowed to have long hair in the military they're not they can't have man buns in the military they have to shave their crap off but is is it so a now we're not inclusive? Maybe 
I don't know. I think there's a difference but, between having long hair and having hair that, like, uh, hair that you just about, can't control. Okay, we're sorry. talking about hair in general. We're talking about hair in general right now. Yes, I know we're talking about black women's hair and black whatever, but at the same time, like, someone like Jason Momoa, if he was to go to the military, he wouldn't be allowed to have that hair. He wouldn't be allowed to have that beard. He has to change the way he looks. So like, if it's just, the military is significantly different than say the company that your sister works for. Cause the company that your sister works for, I don't agree with what they say. They and can tell them that com- they have. Their spa company, they have like a hairdressing thing. Like of all people, it makes no sense. Be. Yeah. It doesn't make they should sense say, to me. As long as your hair looks camped, if she's not allowed to have a certain type of hairstyle, then the white girl shouldn't be allowed to dye their hair wild colors either. You know, everything and that has was to one of the rules. We, I don't know if you had this at Peter House, but in, in, at our school, like you couldn't have, you couldn't dye Dyed hair. And there's one girl who would get into trouble every semester. I don't even know what her natural hair looked like <laughs> at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what I'm saying is like, a, is this such a big deal? Like, would it have been such a big deal if people had highlights in high school? And B, would it have been such a big deal if this girl has her natural hair in, you know, in its regular shape and its natural shape? Like, I think it's distracting the first time if you've never seen an Afro. Yes. But then after that, there's no reason for anybody to call it distracting in a classroom or wherever. Mm-hmm. And even with my own kids, um, uh, my oldest does, she's just learning to skate. So for skating, you have to wear a helmet. Mm-hmm. And I know that when it's skating day, I have to just do her hair down, like tie a lower bun or something just so that her helmet can fit. But I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm not going to obviously like take her to skating with her full Afro. Um, because she's doing a perp- like she's doing a thing that requires her hair to be done. Does it, does that make sense? Like I, yep. I feel like there is yeah. a difference in just like letting somebody sit in a classroom with their natural hair versus you know if they have to put a helmet on or something. So anyway, this is I just military. But anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I just thought this was very interesting. Um, we will put the article in our show notes. Cookie and I have not agreed on anything today, um, <laughs> but we are still very good friends. We will our friendship will survive this episode. Um, we will be back with the saddest part of the show, where we have to say goodbye. We'll be right back. And it is the saddest part of the show where we have to say goodbye. Farah, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you and getting your perspective. Our first Australian guest, hopefully not our last. Um, It's been uh, wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for being on the episode. Oh, thank you for having me, ladies. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We'll we'll hopefully have a lovely day today. It's still morning for you. Some of us are getting ready for bed. We appreciate you. Yeah. Um, So as always, everybody, you can find us on Mixed Motherhood Pod on all platforms. You can email us at mixedmotherhoodpod at gmail.com. If you want to be a guest or you have a letter for us, 
or you just want to tell everybody that I'm right and Cookie's wrong, um, <laughs> send us an email and we will see you again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. The Mixed Motherhood Pod is written and produced by Nene Belanger and Kudzai Chimanakire. All musical credits belong to Epidemic Sound. Follow us on all platforms at Mixed Motherhood Pod. See you next time.